the Bible for your name's sake. Amen. Uh, if you'd like to follow what we're talking about, uh, you might find, at least for the first part, helpful to turn to um, Exodus chapter 34, page 93 in the Church Bibles. Page 93 in the Church Bibles, Exodus chapter 34. Uh, these thoughts all began in one of our Wednesday evening Bible studies. As most of you will know, uh, every week uh, we, we, we do meet for prayer. Alternate weeks we either meet here on Wednesday mornings at 11 o'clock or Wednesday evenings on Zoom. And we hope that those alternatives will suit most people. If you're free during the day, then Wednesday morning, 11 o'clock, you're very welcome to join us in person here. If you can't do that, but, but you, you're comfortable with Zoom, then uh, Wednesday I'll, I'll turn up Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock, uh, we're, we're on Zoom. And if you'd like to know more about that, let me know. But in one of the studies, we, we looked at, uh, at these verses and uh, had some thoughts I felt would be helpful to expand and share today. And as you'll see in a moment, uh, our study included uh, a very personal question that I'm going to ask you in a few minutes. But first, let's begin with Moses. In the previous chapter, chapter 33, he, he, he makes a very bold request to God. He asks God, show me your glory. And God respond, responds to that request by revealing to Moses something of his character. We're just going to read chapter 34, verses 4 to 7, so not a very long reading. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then this is where God reveals his character to Moses. Verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. May God bless his word to us this morning. The main answer to Moses' request that God would reveal himself to Moses is, is verse 6, where the Lord uh, spells out uh, his, something of, of his nature. It says in verse 6 that he is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Today we're just going to look at one of those qualities, which, which in a sense sums up all of God's character. The phrase that God is slow to anger. We're going to think about that. The fact that God is slow to anger. But first, that personal question that I, I said I was going to ask you. You don't need to answer out loud, but you might want to think about this. The question is, how long is your nose? You'd rather not think about it yourself. You might turn to your neighbour and, and, and assess them for this question. How long is your nose? The reason I ask that is that 
Uh, the Hebrew word that's translated here by slow to anger literally means long of nose. And the idea was originally a picture that, that, uh, that uh, a long nose indicates uh, that you are, are not quick to, to lose your temper. Um, a short nose indicates someone who, if you like, like some, some, some say now, it has, has a short fuse. So when it, when it says literally in the passage that, that God has a long nose, it means he's incredibly patient. He's incredibly slow to anger. It takes a long time for his anger to boil over. He's amazingly patient. He gives people time to respond to his gracious warnings. The opposite, short of nose, means someone who gets angry pretty quickly. Uh, uh, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 14, there's, there's one proverb that's, that talks about, says that um, uh, <coughs> a quick-tempered man does foolish things. And, and what's translated as quick-tempered is literally, again, short of nose. So there you are. I'll leave you after us to assess the exact length of the nose and whether that reflects on your character. But four things for us to think about regarding the fact that God is slow to anger. The first thing to say is that God does get angry. This verse doesn't say that, that, that God doesn't get angry. He says he's, he's slow to anger. So let's, first of all, think about the fact that God does get angry and that he's, he's right to do so. Um, this time I'd like to turn to another passage. This is the, 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 the only other passage page turning you're going to have to do today. Uh, Romans chapter 1, page 1128 in the Bibles. Page 1128, Romans chapter 1. We just said that although God is slow to anger, he certainly does get angry. So what kind of thing makes God angry? Uh, In uh, Romans 1, um, uh, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So Paul, writing this letter to the Romans, says that uh, people have refused to believe in God and to glorify him, in spite of all the evidence that exists, that God does exist, and there's plenty of evidence from all sorts of angles that God is real, he exists. But people refuse to believe in God, they'd rather go their own way. And although this was written nearly 2,000 years ago, isn't it still true today? People prefer not to believe in God. Too many restrictions, they think, if they believe in God, and they go their own way. But going their own way, not believing in God, might on one level seem fairly harmless. But the consequences can be catastrophic. Um, if, we, if we were to read on through this chapter, to the end of chapter 1, we, we see what happens when people reject God and they reject the Bible, it's a bit like when, when, when I enjoy going walking. If, if I go on a walk and, and decide early on in the walk, for some reason, I'm just going to throw away the map and just go where I feel like going. 
I've been troubled because the map showed me two things. It showed me where I am now, and it showed me where I want to get to and how to get there. And without the map, you can wander all over the place and end up at entirely the wrong destination. And I've done that. But, uh, but, but they're, throwing, they're also throwing away the rule book. There's no longer any absolute right or wrong. They just make up their own rules as it suits them. The inevitable result, if we make up our own rules, because we're imperfect people, is a downward slide, a slippery slope. Back to my walking again. I feel I can cope with a lot of things. One thing I really do not like is a slippery slope. Because you're out of control of things. If you're not careful, you're going to start to slide. And you can't stop yourself. There's this inevitable slide. You don't want to, to slide down, but you can't help yourself. And Paul, in effect, is, that's what he's saying here, that we, we begin by rejecting God. Then we stop being grateful for all his goodness to us. Then our thinking gets more and more confused. And if you stop worshipping God, you start worshipping other things, whether it's possessions or people or, or your house or, or your career, whatever it might be. When you're not worshipping God, you, everyone has this, this urge to worship something, often the wrong things. And, be, and when people stop believing in God, instead they're willing to believe anything, however absurd it is. It doesn't stop there. Paul goes on through this chapter to, to say that this lack of restraint leads to things like sexual impurity, um, homosexual practices, which is relevant in this age of LGBTQ+, anything else you add on the end of it. Uh, it leads on to, to, he says, to evil, greed, depravity, envy, strife, deceit, malice. Isn't that just what we're seeing today. Because people have turned their backs on God. So Paul says, you start off with just not believing in God, and, you, and it's a slippery slope, and you descend into these things. You don't want to, but that's the way that it leads. And you've got ample evidence every time you look at the paper, or turn on the news, or even look at the world around us. And all this makes God angry. Getting back to, uh, to what we talked about this morning, it makes God angry. Uh, as we said, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't quickly fly into a rage, but, but um, um, he's very patient. And when God's angry, it doesn't like us, we get angry sometimes, in the sense that we lose our temper. And after we, we, we regret maybe something we said or done when we were angry. It's not like that. It's God's anger. It's more like the loving anger of a caring parent <coughs> who sees their child being led astray. God's anger is more like the righteous anger, if you call it that, of a judge passing sentence on a criminal. Or like our own righteous anger, in our better moments, at some of the dreadful things we see on the news. God's anger is like that, and he's right to be angry. And, and sometimes we're angry with him at some of the things going on in the world. But we need to understand that it's not just what we would call bad people, we all make God angry sometimes. All of us sometimes grieve him and hurt him and anger him. And actually, if, if you read the Bible and you compare your life honestly with what the Bible says, you'll soon realise there's plenty in all of us that could make God angry. So God's anger is 
real and justified against each of us. That's just the first point. God is right. God gets angry and is right to be angry. But the second thing, our theme of this morning, is that God is slow to anger. There are many examples in the Bible of this. The the phrase that I read from um, Exodus about what God is like, including the fact he's slow to anger, you find all over the place. It's a recurring theme. But one of the best examples I found in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 9, where Nehemiah just goes through the whole history of God's people and how time and time again they've turned away from him, and yet time and time again God has been merciful and patient, and he's forgiven them, and, and they've brought them back to himself, but they go on sinning. And I'll just read you um, a couple of verses to give you a flavour of this from Nehemiah chapter 9, it, which tells about how God's people sinned against him time and time again, and how amazingly patient he was. Nehemiah 9 says, They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you had performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you didn't desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt when they committed awful blasphemies. Just think about what what that's saying. God miraculously delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out, he brought them through the Red Sea, and he was leading them to the Promised Land. And on the way, they paused at Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And while Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, down below the people were getting, were, were getting uh, uh, unhappy and dissatisfied to the extent that they actually melted down some gold and made a golden calf and worshipped that golden calf rather than God. And, sa- and, and said in their worship, this calf is the one who delivered us from Egypt, not, not that God. What a, a dreadful thing to do. And yet it says here that even then, even when they cast themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God, even then, God was merciful and forgiving. He's incredibly patient. He, 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 he needs to punish us eventually because he's God and he's righteous and we're not. But he isn't in a hurry because he so much wants to, to spare us. That makes you ask, well, why is God so patient? And, and the Apostle Peter, in one of his letters, uh, has this answer in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's easy to misinterpret God's patience and not take sin seriously, to think it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm, I'm sinning and nothing's happening to me. But while we have time to do so, we need to repent and turn back to God <coughs> with all our hearts. And maybe somebody here today, God is calling you to repent, to turn back from it, turn back to Him. Maybe you've gone your own way for a while, but now it's time to turn back to Him and to repent before it's too late. God is certainly very patient, as we've said many times already this morning. 
but he is angry. He gets angry with sin. And one day, he'll judge us. One day, one day he'll judge me. One day, he'll judge you. <coughs> we need to repent while this time. That's two of my four points. And to summarise, we've thought about God's anger, the fact he's right to be angry. We've thought about the fact that, that God, wonderfully, is so slow to anger. But the third thing that I think will help us to tie it all together is to look at an example from God's, of God's anger. Surprisingly, if you really want to see God's anger in action, most clearly, you should look at Jesus and what happened to him. In the centre of all that we as Christians believe is the cross. At the cross, we see God's love and God's anger side by side most clearly. In his amazing love for us, that's the love side of it, his amazing love for us, Jesus, who had done nothing wrong at all, ever, took our place as though he was the greatest sinner. And Jesus faced God's anger. You see, in Jesus we see God's love, but we see God's anger punishing sin. And who did God, in all his anger, his righteous anger, punish for our sin? He punished Jesus, who'd done nothing wrong. But if you like, Jesus had volunteered for the job of taking all our sin on himself and facing God's wrath. All the punishment that we deserved. And you look at Jesus on the cross and you read in the Easter stories about what he went through. Uh, all all the, the mockery and humiliation, the, the, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, the jeers of the crowd. And, and we should have faced all that. But Jesus did, did it instead. So we look at the cross and see most clearly God's fearsome anger in what he had to do to Jesus to pay for our sin. But at the same time, the amazing love of God in the way that Jesus willingly took our place. We didn't ask him to do it. We didn't even know we had a problem. But Jesus did it for us anyway, so that God could be merciful to us. So when we look at what Jesus suffered for us, that's God's anger. Look at Jesus doing all that for us. That's God's amazing love and mercy. So, of course, we, we should be incredibly grateful to Jesus for that. If somebody did something wonderful for us to save us from some predicament, we'd be so thankful all the time, wouldn't we? We'd be telling everybody, everybody about it, how this wonderful person had, had helped us and saved us from, from some difficulty. We'd be full of it. We know we should be continually full of the way that Jesus was willing to do all that for us. We should never stop thanking him, we should, and we should never take it for granted. That's why it's good to share communion so often, to keep reminding ourselves of what Jesus did to save us. But although what Jesus did was wonderful, we need to accept this wonderful sacrifice by receiving it for ourselves. We are faced with two stark alternatives. Each of us here this morning is faced with two stark alternatives. One, if you accept what Jesus did for you, God will accept you into his family. He'll forgive all your sin. He'll be with you through all the ups and downs of life. Then he'll invite you to spend eternity with him in glory. And that will be wonderful. That's alternative one. Alternatively, 
If you refuse to accept what Jesus did for you, you will spend eternity far away from God, cut off from his love forever. So it goes without saying, it's really important to make the right decision now. We're almost at the end of this talk, but if we just said it's important to make the right decision, how do we receive for ourselves what Jesus did for us on the cross? Well, you begin by saying sorry to God. Recognise that you've angered him, you've done wrong by what you said or thought or done probably many times. You begin by saying sorry to God and you trust that Jesus, when he died on that cross, died for you. He died for your sin, which he did if you'll accept it. And on that basis alone, the basis of what Jesus did on the cross for us, you beg God's forgiveness. And God is a forgiving God. And he will forgive if you come to him through Jesus. And then, as Jesus gave his life for you, you offer your life to him to serve him forever. And you know, some people go right through their lives, even people who come to church every week, and never do that. And tragically, they're lost forever. Don't be one of them. What will we do about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us? And if you'd like, us, like to talk more about this afterwards, uh, any one of us here who are elders would, would be delighted to talk to you, pray with you, whatever would be helpful. And now our final challenge, and this is a very brief challenge, uh, blink and you'll miss this last one, but this is a, a final challenge. If God is so slow to anger in his dealings with us, are we equally slow to anger in our dealings with other people? And to begin the sentence beginning, in our dealings with other people, how long is your nose? But think about people that you find difficult to cope with. Maybe they hurt you, annoy you, frustrate you, make you impatient. They just, they just get under your skin one way or another. Are we as patient with them as God has been so many times with us? Are we slow to anger? Really? With people that we find it so easy to get angry with? Because that's a test. And some closing advice. I'll, I'll read this through twice so you can take it in. Some very good advice from the end of Ephesians chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I'll read that one more time and then I'm done. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, we are astonished at how slow you are to get angry with us we who have hurt you, grieved you, frustrated you so many times. Lord, we just thank you with all our hearts for your great mercy to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross to save us. Lord, we ask two things at the end of this talk. We pray, first of all, that none of us will miss out on what our Lord Jesus did at such cost and such agony to save us. 
May we all come to you through Jesus and receive your forgiveness, new life, and eternal hope. And then, Lord, please help us also. We know, Lord, we're human, we're sinful, we so easily get angry with people. Please help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We can't do it without you. Fill us with your Spirit so that we will be as patient with other people as you have been so abundantly with us. For your name's sake. Amen. Uh, now, before we share communion, we're going to sing again, uh, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. And I chose this uh, partly because uh, it just reminds a bit about what Jesus did for us. And the, 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 uh, the, the second hymn, sorry, the second verse says, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Seal my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let's stand and sing and worship and thank him.